2: Good Sunday afternoon. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel and Thumper. Thank you for uh, uh helping uh, uh Mark Sutherland uh, last weekend and last Tuesday. I appreciate it. Uh, I was uh watching the Blue Angels in Grand Junction and I brought back some great footage for you. So, uh, nice. I'll send you some pictures. I'd love it. Yeah. They uh, they did a beautiful presentation. It was a good chance to get together with some really, really good friends that are uh, having having a, a few medical problems. And uh, uh, all I can say is that, uh, we've got to take care of our friends and we got to take care of our country. Yeah. And we've got some great individuals that are going to be joining us today. Uh, of course, you na- know uh, David Summerall, uh, January 6th genius, uh, but we've got a couple of new people as well as Elias Alias that's going to be joining us. I I hope Elias uh, isn't having problems with his Zoom. Uh, he has had problems a few times in the past, but uh, we've got uh, Bobby Kinch, who is the founder and the new president of the Reorganized Oath Keepers USA, and uh, he's a uh, uh, las vegas uh p- a police uh, detective and joining us as well is uh Mike Nichols and I think you'd know Mike uh he is also a former policeman uh he's a former military he has uh, uh been with oath keepers for a long time. I met Mike one time I believe I met Mike in uh uh if I'm not mistaken and I may be mistaken but I, You sure look familiar to me, Mike. I think I met you at Jekyll Island, Georgia, uh, with uh, Stuart Rhodes when Oath Keepers was down there providing uh, some, uh, uh, let's say, security for the Red Pill Expo down there. I'm not certain, but I think you might have been there. Uh, Anyway... We're going to be talking about what really happened on January 6th. And Thumper, I sent you a a video clip that um, I had. I don't know if you got that uh, message, but we do have yes, a I, video. Yes, I did. Okay, great. Um, I think that might be a great way to start this conversation because Stuart Rhodes is in uh, prison now for 18 years, Uh, because of the horrible uh, Oath Keepers' uh, uh, destruction and plan to uh, totally overturn a legitimate election and provide violence, which is complete crap. But uh, anyway, I'd like to uh, be able to show that footage of how the Oath Keepers uh, brought the Capitol Police out of the building, at the Capitol Police request and provided security for them. All right, here we
3: go. Traitor! 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 Traitor!
0: and we're getting beat up. But the people who didn't vote for him are laughing at us. That's
4: right. We, yeah, I'm just saying. We, how can we help control what we are Well, you can help me right
5: now if we can. If you guys can help me. So to of the guys. I know you don't know everybody here, obviously. No, 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 no. Yeah, but if you guys can help me get attract these people, I'd appreciate it.
4: They're not going to leave. You want them to leave? No,
5: they can stay there. I just mm-hmm. need to get the other
0: officers up. Oh, you they need to
5: stay get out. They're I can do that. Oh, they Let's go. Are they going go, let's go, 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 go down the okay. side? Okay, okay. If you guys just announce I can help. I, I can help. help. Yes. Okay, you can either use my megaphone. and I'll follow
4: you. do you got right. to get out?
1: There's
4: about 10
6: officers up there. They need to go to the side. They can get out and go down the stairs. Just like we did. There's stairs on the side They can go out.
3: Goalkeeper, <laughs> goalkeeper, Mike
0: Pence, get aside, make a
3: hole. Let's go.
1: that she's dead. I was in the room. She definitely got shot. I, you I saw the, the blood. About the death? No. About the shooting? Yes, because I was in there. Right in yeah, front of yeah. the speaker's yeah. office. It's at speaker's office after they breached the windows. So I heard a blast. Somebody said it was a buckshot. It sounded like it. And then this Why girl went down.
2: Uh, gives a pretty good idea. Uh, Mike, I uh, I, w- I want to welcome you because I want to thank you for uh, uh, doing what you did and being part of the group that uh, brought those guys out. Uh, that needed to happen. Uh, frankly, there wasn't any reason that the cops should have gotten so excited anyway. It, if I had been in that situation uh, as a cop, I probably would have kind of welcomed like some of the police did early in this thing before some of the more militant DC cops took over and started uh shooting flashbangs and grenades and all kinds of crap into the crowd. Uh, Mike, welcome to the program. I see Elias joined us. Uh, we've got a full house. This is going to be an interesting discussion because uh uh if you don't know david sumral david has done literally thousands of hours of footage and uh worked with uh uh, uh rivers tim rivers in putting together a, uh, a in well basically it's just a, a a book that describes the entire prison process that the uh Uh, that uh, uh, January 6th prisoners are going through, it's called the American Gulag. And uh, all I can tell you is that we're going to have a great discussion today. So, uh, Mike, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, this has been an interesting ride, and um, I know Stewart. I know Stewart's not a perfect man, but I also know that he's not uh, some violent criminal that uh, is intentionally trying to overthrow the government. Uh, when he formed Oath Keepers, I had the great pleasure of being one of the uh, one of the uh, speakers at the first convention they had in Helena, Montana. And oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, Elias, help me with that one. Was that 2008 or 2009? I know it was early on. It would have been 09. Oh, 09. Okay.
0: 09, yeah.
2: Yeah, because I remember well that uh, uh, it was early on, and I was doing my program on UN Agenda 21, and uh, it was a great crowd there. So anyway, uh, Mike, please, uh, kind of introduce yourself, give a little of your background and how you got with Oath Keepers, because you've been a long-time member there, uh, maybe not quite as long as Elias, but pretty close. Uh, and
4: so I'm I'm retired from a police department where I was a sergeant. I was in the military before that. Um, I actually I I've, I've been an oath keeper since I joined the military at 18. But prior to that, I had only recently joined the membership uh, as far as the online forum and how that went in the summer prior to the uh, Donald Trump um, election situation. Uh, And then I'm just a, uh, now I'm just a father with a a beautiful wife and beautiful children. And I just try to raise them constitutionally and with love for everyone, you know, and keep them safe and and instill what we all believe in, into their value system so that they can carry that on into the future.
2: Well, um, Bobby, you're brand new to me. I've not met you before. You are muted, so you may want to unmute yourself, but uh, um, I know that. You wanted to bring Oath Keepers back because uh, as as a concept, as an organization and a concept, uh, it's something that people, anybody that's uh, former military cops, any uh, former uh, elected official, they have to take that oath. And <laughs> it isn't something that should go away the second they turn their back on it. It's something you carry for your entire life. I... Sworn my first oath in, uh, I believe, 1970 uh, as a uh, young military. And I uh, swore it again uh, several times, but as a uh, county commissioner and uh, also working with the uh, state legislature.
5: Yes, yes. And uh, thanks for having me on board. I think. I think, first of all, we need to just like kind of distinguish a little bit between an oath keeper and an oath taker. There's a lot of people in America that, frankly, it's an ends to it's a it's a means to an end to get a job. And and like you said, I mean, what good is an oath if you don't keep it? And so there's a lot of oath keepers. It's not just an organization. It is it is frankly, you know, a vast majority of people in our country who serve both in the military. I'm a I'm a third vet uh, vet generation military member myself my son would be the fourth um so it's a long service of history in my family and of course as a police officer you know we took the oath too and and I liken it a little bit to let's say a vow of marriage what good is that if you don't keep it and so um so for us it's it's more than just an organization it's it's an actual it's an actual core value that that we as oath takers have and frankly it was a no-brainer why we had to do what we had to do uh post January 6th. And it was kind of fortuitous how I came into this position, to be completely honest with you. And we can go over that if you want. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're totally in agreement. And I want to thank Mike because um, I I didn't know Mike just till a sh- couple months ago, a few short months ago, um, just happened to see him on a Truth Social post. And I let him know what I was doing. And then we met because he's actually about an hour and a half from my hometown in upstate New York so we're very close together and so a lot of fortuitous things you could call it you know divine intervention if you will but a lot of things are coming together that, you know, I mean, if you're not religious, that's one thing I'm spiritual, but I, I I don't have any other explanation how things are just happening. Uh, and they are happening all over this country. And, uh, and I, I, I think good things are about to happen. I think the truth is going to come out. Um, I wasn't privy to, uh, anything that happened on January 6th. Um, we can go on that, uh, if you want, but the Oath Keepers organization is different and thanks, thanks to Elias, um, I'm I'm almost done with his book. Uh, we met fortuitously through Mike. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, I think God's bringing us all together for a reason. And these are really good times. I mean, the best and the worst of times.
2: I agree. I, I feel like we are blessed to be born in the time that we are, because it will really determine the metal of the man and will determine whether or not we are uh, just and decent human beings, and if we really truly love the Lord and are willing to make the sacrifices. And that's absolutely where the core is, because if we don't stand up for the truth and do what we need to do, uh, we're not good citizens. And Uh, That is not what this country was founded on. This country was founded on citizenship and local government and rights of individuals. And uh, Elias, I know how dedicated you are to that. And I know uh, how you have worked so hard to try to, I guess, get people to come together and do things. Uh, The mental militia, your group there is really kind of the foundation for the Oath Keepers, would you kind of describe how Oath Keepers was formed and how you put uh, your effort into that with Stuart, and then how, you know, how things have changed since then?
0: <laughs> uh, oh, uh, you got a couple of hours, Dan?
2: Well, yeah, in fact, we do. Uh, we got an hour and 40 <laughs> minutes left. it <but>, okay. uh <laughs> take some time, man.
0: Uh, I had created an online discussion group in 1999 as I was leaving Georgia when trying to get to Montana. The mental militia. We we have been online in one way or another ever since as the mental militia, but I have to endure a lot of hacking attempts, and my websites are always under siege, but In 2006, Stuart Rhodes signed into this discussion group. And um, so I knew him. I was watching his comments for a couple of years before he created Oath Keepers. So I I really liked the guy's sharp mentality, his knowledge base. He, He was familiar with the founding generation, a wonderful speaker, a good writer, and uh, when he wanted me to help him with starting oath keepers, I um, went ahead and did that, and we have had a lot of um, a long road since then. But oath keepers was first mustered in April nineteenth of two thousand and nine. We had our incorporation meeting in Las Vegas, Nevada in uh, october of '09, and we came out of the gates running strong stewart had worked for the or with the uh, ron paul office crew for about a year before he went to yale to become a lawyer so he knew a lot of connections and some way or another the man could uh pool money like crazy to uh, get his organization launched. So immediately, the SPLC and the ADL and various un- unnamable government entities had an attitude about what? What do you mean, keep your oath? I mean, what do you mean, are your orders to be questioned? No, you get an order, you take the order. Now, you got a problem with that order then file a report later. But no, you don't question your orders. And Oath Keepers, Stewart, was saying the opposite. You could get an unlawful order, and if you follow it, you are violating your oath. If it is not a constitutionally pursuant order, you're violating your oath. And so that has been the friction and the conflict surrounding the existence of Oath Keepers since 2009. And Lord only knows, we've watched, I mean, you know, every day is a whole new episode in insanity at our national level, international level, and uh, starting to affect people at the local level. So, I don't know, Dan, uh, I'm glad that Bobby decided to step up and carry that baton further I do hear from uh, other sources that Stuart, communicating from prison, has uh, endorsed Bobby as being a good man to do this. Um, I would like to make sure that your listeners know this new organization is no longer the original Oath Keepers organization. It is a new organization organization. But it's trying to do the same thing Stuart was in a general sense. So uh, what what David Sumrall is doing, what Mike Nichols is doing, what Bobby's doing, what I'm trying to do, and a lot of other good people, uh, is get the massive delusion that's propagated by this government uh, bureaucracy, about oath keepers need to be in prison. Uh, we, we, we are nice people, good police officers, good soldiers, good, you know, we're nice people, but the government has absolutely targeted oath keepers. And as of what, about a week ago, they're now targeting MAGA Trump supporters. Talk about politicization of the weaponization. Man, we got it. It's
2: a new gulag system, uh, Elias, and I'm glad that you brought up um, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center because in 2010, and I put this in my newsletter, in 2010, uh, Janet Napolitano, with her uh, help from her friends, uh, Morris Dees and the SPLC, listed Ron Paul supporters, (laughs) people who talk about the Constitution, people who talk about uh, individual rights and oath keepers as enemies uh, of the state and uh, domestic terrorists. That was in her list. Uh, It was about a 10-page report. I've got a copy of it somewhere. Um, I think everybody remembers that well but it shows just exactly how far back this goes. And Bobby said something a little bit earlier, and uh, I'll open it up for Bobby to comment on this, but um, he mentioned the fact that uh, things are starting to change, and they are. I felt a tipping point about a year and a half ago, and I have seen – an awakening in America that I was praying for. And frankly, I wondered if we were ever gonna have it, but we saw it uh, starting with COVID and then January 6th kind of blew it up. In the last year and a half, uh, things have really turned and I think we're on a a new path. Bobby, what do you think about that?
5: I agree 100%, especially with the stuff that's coming to, to light now. Based on the investigations of Joe Han, uh, Hanneman, the Epic Times, uh, Steve Baker over at the Blaze, and even Laura Logan, who's now looking into things, uh, she met with uh, one of our representatives last week. So there's a lot of irons in the fire because these people are realizing as they uncover the truth that there's more and more layers of lies and deception in this whole narrative, this false narrative. And frankly, um, you know, I, I think it's a blessing. Uh, I just, I just hope that we can get these guys. Uh, convictions overturned and and get them on a out of out of out out you know jail because they they're 100% political prisoners i mean i have put people i i have put people in prison uh, as a detective and as a cop for many many years over two and a half decades and i can tell you um the, the elements of, the, of insurrection and all of this did not exist. I mean, it would be the first time in the history of the world where you would have had an insurrection when there was no weapons brought. There wasn't a building burned. There was not a statue toppled. There was not a drape ripped off or a, a picture ripped off the wall. You know, I mean, yes, there were some people there that definitely did some vandalism, bad things. But you, we had intel prior to this. And I will say we because I was merely a second in command of a chapter back uh, during the January 6th lead up. Um, And we had information through our intel officers that Antifa was spreading flyers and posts that they were going to go there and dress up as Trump supporters and and basically do what they did. And we knew that that was going to happen. And I wasn't in the the quote unquote negotiations and the, and some of the secret meetings that were taking place. And, um, and they weren't really secret in because pers- there was nothing, there was nothing wrong. We were, we were not taking weapons there. We were very sure about that. People actually reached out to me and said, Hey man, can I take, a, 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 can I take a baton? Can I take pepper spray? Because you know, it's, it's DC and we had to research all this stuff. So we were completely legal. Um, But, you know, it's like it's 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 unbelievable to see my beloved profession, law enforcement, get to an area where it is now that I see. And it hurts my heart and frankly angers me because we all took the same oath to the same Constitution. And what they're doing, um, you know, is it's very scary. It's very scary, Dan. And I and I don't think we're done seeing it happen yet. But the tides, they are turning 100 percent.
2: I agree. They are a turning and we haven't heard from David, uh, Sumral, but you guys really need to get to know David. And he needs to get to know you because this is, uh, exactly the kind of relationship that needs to build on itself. And that's the kind of dots that I like to connect. I like to connect people. Um, and that, those are the most important dots. Um, David Sumrall actually formed a group called called Stop Hate back after the Rodney King affair because he saw the media trying to gin up a lot of violence and a lot of crap after the Rodney King affair, and he said, this has got to stop. And he held uh, events all over the country trying to make people aware of what was going on. David, welcome to the program. Uh, of course, David is a co-host and a guest host at various times on this, uh, this program. So at one time he almost took it over because, uh, I was off for a whole month and <laughs> we've laughed about that. But, uh, David says, well, so, uh, you're going to guest host for me. <laughs> it made
6: us, it made us both nervous and, and your whole audience too. I think that's so
2: funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Anyway, uh, David put together with uh, Tim Rivers, the American Gulag Chronicles. uh, Well, Tim Rivers put it together, but you've done a tremendous amount to uh, advertise and sell that because that is part of the funding for the families who their loved ones are in prison right now. It's uh, for their defense and other things. David, talk about how when you went to D.C. on January 6th, how you went there with the full intention of filming exactly like you did and all the new information that you've gotten from other people that were doing the same thing.
6: Yeah, Dan, thanks a bunch for having this show in particular. All these guys, man, they're they're heroes in every respect you know somebody's got to stand at the end and and if nothing else stand and that's what everybody's doing and and trying to lean forward and move forward take these steps but look january 6 was no different than any other event you know like the democrats say never let a crisis go to waste well if you create a crisis and then don't waste it you've accomplished your mission which they did and you know as a video investigator you know, people need to do their own homework. They need to jump in there and see what everybody can see. And I just want to take maybe two minutes and go through a quick list of what was in that video that people just saw that you might've seen and not even know you saw. You had an officer in a red MAGA hat that says he got that from the crowd. Somebody put it on his head. He's scared. He's scared of these people. He's scared of these white people, especially. He thinks he's in a bad spot. So he asked these guys, to help get policemen that are trapped. He asked these Oath Keepers to hold his hand on the way up the stairs. The Another Oath Keeper had his jacket from behind and was pushing him up the stairs. That left his gun exposed the whole time up the stairs, into the door, through the whole crowd. Nobody ever pulled his gun and shot him with it. He was in no danger. He was not threatened, but he tells in interviews every day, still, my life was in danger. We could all been killed. That's not the truth. Another person at the doorway, if you look, that was helping make a hole for the police was Matthew Perna, who killed himself because of the pressure from the DOJ, hung himself because people like that officer in the red mag hat won't come out and say, the people that helped me were Oath Keepers. He was on Tucker Carlson. He could have said that way back then. But, oh, he didn't know. Or, oh, these Oath Keepers didn't want their name used. I I call that a lie because these Oath Keepers want the truth out like everybody else. But these are some of the things that when you realize this situation, when you realize what the media has done to twist that, Oath Keepers were there to protect people, just like Proud Boys. We know what Antifa and BLM, we know the conflict that's happened. I had people go to the November rally that had no clue how it worked. They got an education. Some of them got a beat down. They came back with helmets and body armor because they saw Antifa was stabbing people. They came back in December. They didn't have those issues because they were prepared. They were protecting people. They were helping keep the peace. They came back in January expecting the same thing. We're going to keep the peace. We're going to have a good event. And people were happy. People were maybe not happy, but they were festive. They were not in a angry mood when they got to, the Capitol, and we know from the last time, you know, how that violence, how that chaos was kicked off by the police intentionally. They incited a crowd. But what you see that footage with that black officers in the red hat is on the east side, where that violence did not take place. Like there were not the flashbangs and the rubber bullets and all. And that guy wants you to think that he was in danger. And yet he won't tell you the very men that protected him. And I think that's the biggest travesty for everyone that's sitting rotten in prison as Oath Keepers saying hey we were there to help and support like we've done for years we have a, a clean record you know we we don't cause things we don't start things we prevent things uh, outstanding record I've worked with them at my events other people's events politicians events all over the country that's what they do
2: yeah and we we be, had yeah David we had the same experience so it, we, the Oath Keepers helped us at several of our Red Pill Expos where we heard that groups uh, like Antifa were going to be there to uh, create violence. As it turned out, we never had a problem with that. But uh, Oath Keepers were there. And um, I I mean, we couldn't have felt any more safe than being around that group because they were there to protect. That's all they were there for. That's
6: right. And listen, when their own statements during the day, when people in the crowd are coming up saying, who are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? Because you've got this military looking stuff on. I say, look, we're here to keep the peace. I mean, they're literally telling the people that asked them in the crowd. Why are you? We're peacekeepers. We're just here to make sure everything's good. Everything's all right. And make sure nobody gets hurt. But the thing that we all noticed when we got there was no Antifa, you know, miraculously, all the other Trump rallies, all the other events for years had a very strong presence of, of an opposition, and yet this one had nothing. And like you said, the intel was there that they're gonna infiltrate, they're gonna wear hats, they're gonna do these things, Trump clothing. You know, and I had the guy on the show a couple of weeks ago when he got arrested. They took him in the tunnels and he sees Antifa clothing in the tunnels. In the mm-hmm. tunnels. Who who was allowed to change clothes in the tunnels? Where's that footage? Yeah. You know, exactly. so exactly there's so much more, Dan. And I'm just proud of these guys for you know, carrying the torch, man. Somebody's got to do it. This is a time when most people want to shy away, and that's exactly the time we need to step into the light. And say, here, here we are. Here we are. We're here to do the right thing at the right time, just like January sixth. And you know, damn the torpedoes—they're going to come anyway. We just got to work together to to salvage what we can of what's left of our country and make sure it survives.
2: We do, and we've got to end the the lies. And to that uh, end, Mike. Um, I, I want you to talk about your experience there because you heard what David just said. This is, uh, you were there, you, you know, you were filming or certainly part of the group that was filming this and you were helping these cops get out of the building. You're a former, uh, former cop yourself. So, you know, you, you obviously have a strong allegiance to other that uh, share your idea of protecting the people. So uh, please uh, tell us how you saw January 6th and how the violence that was being perpetrated wasn't by your group, but it was by others.
4: Yes. So so, uh, January 6th came around um, and we, decided to go. My wife and I decided to go down the night before on January 5th. We didn't uh, have actual plans to go down. I had been in communication with several groups that had intended to go down to the rally. They had found places that had not been, um, according to all that we had, overrun by BLM and Antifa that would be dangerous for patriots to stay at. We were looking at a lot of groups like Mothers for Liberty, Moms for Trump, Um, all of these movements, there was Trump caravans, there were just thousands of people going to January 6th. A lot of people believe this was Trump's speech or evidence would be presented. Uh, The main idea and understanding that I understood from it was that there was some sort of um, interference or discrepancy in our election process and that uh, everyone wanted to use their First Amendment and come to the Capitol and make their voices heard peacefully under that first amendment and then grieve what they believed was interference with our electoral process um, that had taken place because many of us experienced the four years prior to this election where our cities and our police departments had been decimated by uh, these groups that were out there. Um, we, we had anticipated quite throughout those times, holding our breath that the government would do the right thing, the military and law enforcement would be reinforced, and we would save our cities, and people would uh, go on the home, you know and live their life the way they wanted to. So we uh, connected with a lot of people. The I want to touch on the, um, the issue with the QRF that they bring up all the time, where they claim roads and all these Oath Keepers had weapons prepared to bring into the Capitol uh, for some reason that wasn't. Uh, Good, which isn't the truth. I I talked to a lot of people that day and the night before and pre uh, January 6th and all the intentions were to um, legally be able to carry if you could. And if you couldn't, you would stay where you could, if you wanted to, or you would um, obviously not bring a firearm. Um, We called the Metro PD prior to January 6th to discuss the fact that, uh, this, these groups were going to see Trump's speech as they were allowed to. That uh, in December, if people remember, there was a rally for Trump where um, there was a lot of video uh, that was being circulated of a, a Marine. He was an older Marine that had been beaten uh, for trying to protect a lady with her flag. Uh, there was a, a lot of these violent videos where these supporters had been attacked on their way back to their cars. So we decided, um, Arlington was the best place for everyone to stay. The hotels were safe. There would be a lot of Patriots, retired police officers, veterans, medical professions, just all across the board, all kinds of individuals. So we made plans uh, to go down. Um, we went down to Arlington. We, uh, I had connected with, five other Oath keepers that um intended to walk into the speech that morning with their wives like I did and um we met that night in Arlington we arrived there at, we arrived there at, at uh about Late evening, I was very nervous. I didn't want to be in a crowd. i dealt with a lot of crowds. I've been in several riots, uh, from military to law enforcement. Um, But when we arrived in D.C., uh, actually, I was so nervous that I had notified um, my previous chief of police. And then... um, the Metro PD, like I said, I'd called them prior and said, hey, what's the deal with January, this event, what's it's gonna be like? A lot of people are coming down there, where is it safe to stay? I researched to uh, HR 218, just in case I decided to carry a weapon, which I didn't, but I could legally under two uh, HR 218. Um, and then they said, it's gonna be wild, don't come down, no place is safe. So that kind of goes against the narrative of their um, reports, but anyways, um, we go down, we go that night, we get to DC, uh, we want to go get something to eat. We go out into the town, very nervous again. But immediately in Arlington, we are just surrounded by thousands and thousands of Americans that um are happy. They're it's more like pre-football game, not like pre-violent game. They're very excited, they're wandering around till late hours at night. Um, we talked to hundreds of them. I talked to a I believe he was a Korean vet who had his son who was in Vietnam, whose son was in Afghanistan. They had 600 people with him. They offered to let us walk in with them. They were going in at six in the morning. We didn't want to get up that early. So we said we'd see him in there if we did. But that's the atmosphere there was. Mm-hmm. So move forward to the next day, we wake up, we meet downstairs at about, I'd say eight, 738. We have five people with us, six people uh, to some of our wives and we start to walk in, we go the wrong way and we go up, um, towards Georgetown and come down through DC. Uh, so it's about an hour and a half. It's it's a good long walk in, but people are just uh, are coming from everywhere in this giant walk-in. So you're just running into people everywhere. Uh, but you're immediately starting to notice one or two people that aren't really fitting in. There was a man, with a giant barrel around him. That was like some sort of body shield and he had stuff and he he was going to walk and be like, no, nah, we're not, we don't know what your deal is. And so there was a lot of that kind of, not a lot, but just some strange things that didn't fit with what we had seen uh, were coming. So we walk in, we get down to the Washington Monument. We're at the Washington Monument. Again, no violence. Everyone's happy. Um, everything's closed, which it was odd to me because we wanted to get something to eat, but we get to the Washington Monument about 9.30, um 10 it's filling up there's there's uh, if you've ever been to dc and you're looking at the white house from the monument behind you all the way to the capitol it's people i mean it is people all the way down it is people all the way up past the white house It is people all the way to the washington monument and back there are over a million plus people at yeah, this thing, yeah. and it's we're standing side by side and um you know, no one is masked. There's some people masked, uh, but everyone is very happy. It's a lot of older people, a lot of people of different races, a lot of, um, handicap, uh, or non-mobile type people. It's just a lot of people from every walk of life you could imagine. And everyone is happy. And I felt this extreme amount of just but just a feeling I hadn't felt in so long where I just kind of teared up a little and, and, and felt really good to be American, right? Just, just very proud very American flags. I didn't see these um, flags they talk about. I mean, there were made have been a couple of Confederate flags, but that's, so anyways, the speech comes on, we listen to speech, but my wife decides she wants to go through security and get up close to Trump. So we go down through security. Um, uh, there's lines, but no no actual lines. People are just forming them and not letting anybody budge or anything. So we go up through security, we get down through there, and as you walk through the magnetometer, you're immediately greeted by several uh, men that are carrying old keeper pamphlets and flyers, and they have security badges on that say VIP, and they've been clearly cleared to be in the secure zone. So they're in there handing out um, signs that say, um, I can't remember what they said, but they had a blue sign and a red sign and they were handing those out and they were handing out flyers. So we get into position, watch the speech. The speech goes on. Uh, I mean, this the, at one point, you know, there's a, uh, uh, one of the balls bouncing through the air like you see at football games. It's, it's not a violent situation at all. Um, Trump speaks, when Trump's speech ends, um, we decide actually, cause this is now two 30. We got there about nine 30 in the morning. We, we really want to go back to the hotel. So we say, well, let's head back towards, um, Arlington. So we turn left. The crowd is split after the speech and it's sent one half is sent directly towards the Capitol, which is probably about a 30 minute walk. The other half, which is us leads to the opposite direction. But as we get out of the, Uh, White House area, the roads have all been blocked and we've become part of a giant caravan that's basically steered up to Georgetown, then turned and the roads at Georgetown aren't really accessible to get out. So we're turned and we walk behind the White House. They actually end up marching us through BLM Plaza, which at the time I thought was just a poor idea. Um, But there's no violence there. There's maybe, I mean, there's not that many, there's, there's, 25 BLM type individuals screaming at all the supporters. And there's a lot of policemen there. Um, everyone's cheering for the police. There's big flags everywhere. Um, people are pulling carts. One guy stresses uncle Sam. There's actually people with sticks with Trump hats on them that are selling them. You know, it's just very carnival, like, um, nonviolent anything. Uh, again, everything is boarded over like a hurricane went through though. So we, get shuttled to about an hour we're walking. We come across some food carts and people are eating. And that's the first time we see this one lone female reporter. I don't know the news channel. And everyone's kind of just sitting around her eating, uh, listening to God bless America and some songs. And she's in the microphone saying, they're shooting rubber bullets at the people and it's going crazy and the crowd is crazy. And we all kind of look around and we can't figure out what she's talking about at all. So we, we walk by her. Just figure fake news, whatever that is, you know, because we'd heard that before. So we go down and we come towards the front of the Capitol. Now as as we realize we're approaching the Capitol, because here it is, through this, I believe what they, they uh call the peace monumentary, because this all comes into play later, right? When you get into how uh, they channeled the first part of the crowd and the second part of the crowd, which was us, these are the waves that they used to overrun the Capitol building, which is just the people, the thousands of people. Um, they ch- channel us through this peace monument area, which is where the thousand individuals that were armed with the climbing gear and all the weaponry that appeared. Um, and there's a chief of police report out there that explains this, uh, um, that it says, you know, the crowd's peaceful all day. And then at around 1230, there's more, there's a couple of separate bomb threats that come in separate in the Capitol, police at the Capitol, and there's also a thousand-man group that just appears out of nowhere, nothing like the crowd, and d- comes up on the Capitol, clears all the barricades, clears all the signs, but we've seen all this. So we walk through the Peace Monument area, no barricades, no no signs, nothing. I mean, there's police cars parked. No one is is going over the police cars. No one's smashing police cars, um, but it, everything is just flowing towards the Capitol. So we walk up the sidewalk, Uh, And we get to the side that the inauguration is on. And now at this point, people are climbing the side of the building. People are hanging flags off the building. People are cheering. But we have witnessed no violence. Um, It reminded me of, it didn't seem, it wasn't appropriate, of course, you don't go climbing our Capitol, but I, I still didn't have this feeling like I was in fear at this point or anything terrible was going on. So we wander that side a little bit. Uh, but we're really just looking for why we're there. We believe that we've come here to witness the count of the vote or that they're going to contest the vote and there's going to be a big screen. And I I guess Trump might be there. I don't know if he was going to be there, um, but we're not finding this. So we wander around, um, to the other side of the building, which you end up seeing the Columbus doors in that incident. And as we, we go up the stairs to come to the first set of stairs that go into the building, I don't know which section that is. Um, That's the first time we actually experience this um, news crew and the news crew which we later discover is CNN because they plaster my wife and I, they put our face on this, on their show, tell people to remove their kids from the room. Um, and then it says, you never thought you'd see this in America and there's my face in the crowd. And then the next shot is my wife and it says uh, something under that. But that's our first experience where we see this, this camera crew that's dressed in all black, and there's two guys screaming at the camera crew but then they run ahead of the crew and wait and the crew moves to them again and they start screaming at them again and you can see this kind of almost like a, we had thought we walked onto a movie screen because it was just it was very played out so we stood and watched them for a little while couldn't figure that out and then we moved over to the first set of stairs so we go up to the first set of stairs And as we go up to the first set of stairs, uh, the man I'm with, Steve, he is an army uh, chopper pilot. Uh, He's not, he's out of the military now, um, but he was prior service um, and an oath keeper. We go to talk to the policemen. There's probably 14 policemen or so on this set of stairs and no one's going past them. No one's going into the building. No one's forcing their way back past. People are sitting around them. We try to engage them. They won't talk to us. We can see in their eyes um, just something is different here than we had felt at DC, but we haven't experienced anything, so we don't know what it is. Steve and I discussed this for a minute, and then we sit down on the steps, um, and a church group starts praying next to us, so sit there for a little bit, then we stand up and we walk down and... We go and talk to multiple groups of people. Uh, I believe that Rhodes Group might have been one of them. I'm not sure. Um, Ask them all about what's everyone doing. We're waiting for the vote. Everyone's waiting for the vote. So I look over towards uh, the, the center stairs, and we're over... A distance from them. There's a glass thing in the ground. Sorry, I don't know the area very well. Um, and it looks like people are walking up the right side of the stairwell and people are walking down the left side of the stairwell. And there's people on the stairs and it actually appears that you can go into the Capitol. And I'm just assuming it's open because uh, I don't know why it would be closed at this point. Um, and so we start to walk over to that to see what's going on there. And that's when I notice the pepper spray or, or can smell the the CS or, or CN in the pepper spray and can hear the ruckus at the top of the stairs. And as I'm trying to figure out, cause I, of course, as a police officer, you're constantly looking at all these things, looking at everyone, evaluating what's going on, what, what should we be dealing with? And our whole objective, which had been, you know, obviously the goal was protect the crowd, protect the people that wanted to see the speech, um ensure that they could freely move about DC and then get back to their hotels safely and in the event that there was this, uh, new information, the election's been stolen, here's the proof, or, you know, the government is uh, corrupt and here's all the proof. We need all our military aged men. We need all, then we were prepared to stand up and take our oath again in order to serve if that had been necessary. But, you know, it'd be no different than by law, if a police officer says, I need your help, help me now. Uh, you, you are required at least in New York to help that officer, or you can be arrested. So, um, We see this commotion on the stairs, and I think uh, immediately we've got to do something about these people on the stairs, which, of course, isn't my job anymore, but that's my thought process. So I start to look around for a police officer, and I see uh, Lieutenant Johnson. I didn't know he was Lieutenant Johnson at the time, and he's between the first set of stairs we were at and the set of stairs with Columbus doors on it. And he's walking towards the Columbus doors, and he's stopped to talk to a lady, and he's handing the lady his business card. Uh, and she's asking some questions. And I said, I got to get this policeman because I don't think he realizes or knows that this is becoming bad up here at this staircase. Um, So i go over to him. And as soon as uh, he's, he's walking towards me for whatever, you know, we know what he's going to do. And I say, is there, you know, you see what's going on on these stairs over here? How can I help you take care of it? Uh, And then he he lets me know that there's policemen trapped in there. And so as, as soon as you know, He says the words that there's policemen trapped in the building. You, I just immediately decided we were going to go get these policemen out. You know, what I think that's kind of natural for anybody. It had been children, it had it been people, it had it been anybody. If someone tells you people are trapped in that building, so um, he says, I've got these policemen trapped in here. Uh, I said, I can help you. How can I help you? Um, I identify myself, of course, I because I don't want him to, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. And I don't want, I want him to understand that I'm, I'm, you know, a friendly individual. Uh, so identify myself. He hands me the bullhorn, uh, which I never use a lady ends up using the microphone for it. Um, and we go off to, to go up the stairs. I tell my wife to stay behind. Uh, and Steve tells him to stay, behind. actually Steve tells his wife to stay behind, go up the stairs, make our way through the crowd, we actually really just get through the crowd by yelling, you know, make a hole, please step aside, make a hole, we're coming through, and, and they really do. They It's very interesting. If you've ever been in the service or, or even the police department, when you say make a hole or or a term, uh, I'm not sure what the Navy uses, or, or but people clear, right? They get right out of the way. Um, And that's exactly what happened. As I was yelling, make whole, everyone kind of lined up. And I know Dave was talking about it earlier. You actually study all this video because Steve and I studied all of it. And you look at this crowd, you can see the agitators that are around us. And these are not the Oath Keepers. None of these individuals are Oath Keepers um, per se, um, like the group Oath Keepers. And I have yet to see any of these individuals uh, out there in, in in any of what's taking place there's actually uh, if we could back up that video what we won't right now there I I've, I've gone through it with a fine tooth comb there's uh, several interesting points a man walks through with a blue folder in his hand a file folder uh, and he's kind of in a business suit everything stops this man walks through then everything begins again there's another man but anyways, I don't want to talk, there's a lot going on in that video. There's a guy in a blue hoodie. If you watch him, he's purposely holding these doors open and you can see him in quite a few different areas. There's, uh, so we get to the doors, the the one door is shut. The, um, the entranceway is held by shields. There's a guy with a shield on the bottom, a guy with a shield on the top. Um, as I make my way to them, I'm trying to let them know that I'm on the same side as them because I don't want to be taken as a threat. Um, so I start to yell to them, you know, same team. I, um, and the Lieutenant sees them and comes around me and basically signals that I'm with him. And so as I go through the doors, I'm immediately grabbed uh, once I go by the shield guy by several people and they start to throw me towards the back of where this group is. And one man is coming down with a fist, you know, ready to strike because you would, uh, you know, if someone had broke your line, you, your, your training is if your front line is broken, you separate and throw them to the back crowd, you close. And then the black, the back people stuff them and cuff them up and take them away. That's how this works. Right. So, um, I start screaming a code word to him that we use in law enforcement. He recognizes it. Thank goodness. And the Lieutenant starts, um, yelling at him. He's with me, get through the doors, uh, get stood up and I'm immediately, um, surrounded by policemen. There's policemen everywhere in this, in this entranceway and there uh, there's a stairway and there's doors that go into the building. And, um, there are policemen on the stairs There are policemen everywhere. And I remember my first thought was I couldn't understand why all the policemen were in the building. And it wasn't, but I hadn't experienced anything previous to this. So get up, say to the Lieutenant, what's the plan here? Uh, are we going to take these stairs back? Because based on the amount of policemen I saw in there and the gear that they had um, my first assessment really quickly was we would use the shields to push our way down to clear the stairway, just, you know, a centimeter at a time, not in a very violent way, but just gain an inch at a time and start to push this crowd off because, you know, 10 feet from the entrance to the doorway, wasn't violent. You you weren't dealing with a violent crowd down below. And I don't think that the policemen on the inside could see that over this violent crowd that was attacking their doorway. So had, but anyways, that doesn't happen. Lieutenant says, um, we just got to get these guys out. He points, you know, We're facing away from the outside. He points to the right. And there are, you know, a dozen or so uh, large and small policemen in full riot gear that are are having a hard time breathing. They're just, they're really overworked. And so said, yeah, these guys are ineffective right now. Let's get them out. So I tell everybody, you know, all right, grab the shoulder of the guy in front of you. Uh, I'm going to go through these doors when they open. Uh, Don't stop. Don't let go of me and don't stop till we get through this crowd. And then we, we start to get everybody ready. And of course, we now know through the video footage that no one's seen, which is out there. It, it's it's it, from the inside cameras um, that there is a, a large amount of command staff in this room also that is organizing these 16 officers with Lieutenant Johnson and I to get behind us and come out of the building. So they they... Command staff, I believe, above Johnson was in there doing the same thing he was. Uh, But that'll all come out eventually in the videos that come out. Uh, So we get them behind us, doors, uh, one is, is shut, S.H.I.E.L.D. guy tries to move, and we're immediately met with the crowd, and they do not want to let us out. They've realized we're not um, on their side, uh, not against the American people, but not on the side of violence. So start yelling at them, negotiating. The lady that gets the bullhorn from me, if you actually follow her, she is with the man that when you're facing the Capitol... Uh, is maybe three, three people back. He's got a mullet and he's in a blue shirt and he's on his phone texting. Originally he has on a a police blue line knit hat and he's in the Capitol rotunda with her. Um, And there's the footage is, is a lot of the footage is gone now, but they're kind of in there in that pushback in the rotunda that we all saw on TV briefly. And you can identify actually all the individuals that are on the side of us as we go in and out are, in the videos previously of people in the rotunda, kind of in a battle with the police that are in there. And that battle isn't necessarily the battle that people think it is. It's because thousands and thousands of people showed up at several entrances to a building um, and then didn't have anywhere else to go. And I, I don't know if everyone's seen the footage where the gas is basically what wipes out the police line on the opposite side. You have Protesters are are not going by the police line. Police are all around the building. And then this wave of gas is launched and it basically goes down the whole line of the crowd and then the front line dissolves and the whole crowd moves in. And now if you're gassed, one of the things you learn in basic training is is your gas is a last resort to deploy on a crowd. And especially if you haven't set up a way to, to decontaminate and deal with the size of the crowd that you're dealing with, because now you have not only some possibly angry and just disorderly people, you have chemically, you know, gassed people that can no longer see they can't, they're going to go into a painted state and you have to be able to give them an avenue of egress to get out of there. And none of this takes place. So these people are all crushed in there, you know, and the next thing they know, they're, they're being gassed and they're being bullets are being shot at them. And it's, it's very scary to be in those types of situations. Um, and they don't know what to do. And so they push forward, they push backward, and this is a lot that plays in the capital overrunning. So there's points where you reach where there's the police and there's the people and there's nowhere to go. And a lot of that is the video that they use to make people believe that there's this giant fight that takes place. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's nowhere to go. So anyways, get the people out, um, get Johnson down to the bottom, you know, keep yelling, get back. The crowd comes together and helps us move everybody out, uh, of the way we make a whole, get the crowd down below, uh, which there's video of that also, um, talk to Johnson, he thanks us. I, I then realize I can't find my wife. I've lost her, so I, I go to look for her. And this is the footage that's out there also, but you don't see in the mainstream. Uh, Steve and I go back up to the doors that we were just at because we had managed to get um after we got the people out the door that had been held by the shields would manage to get shut so they now had control of that door i didn't personally do it but the, the officers were able to do this so they now had control of this door um but there was an issue with it and i'll describe it later uh, so they'd gotten that shut so i go back up to find my wife and she's to the right of the columbus doors uh talking to a couple of men that are there trying to figure out what's going on um get her. And then Steve and I look over and we see the policemen that are still in the door, like inside the building. And I, I just assumed they, they got cut off from us. I had thought we'd got everybody out. Um, so we go over to the doorway, uh, once we get my wife to leave and I, I, you know, the crowd is still yelling at them. So I get up in the door and, um, At this point, I use my identification to hold to the door because I I don't want them to think I'm trying to get in this doorway. And I have my face up against the door um, and I'm communicating with an officer on the inside trying to understand, you know, I said, are you trapped in here? Do you need us to get you out also? And he says, no, we're not coming out. And I said, okay, well, there's a Lieutenant that wants everybody to get out. I give him the card through the door. He says, okay, we don't work for him. We're not coming out. I said, okay, well, what can we do to help you you know, secure this and and, and get this under control? Other people are all screaming at us. As Steve and my wife are keeping them back. Um, he tells me, um, he doesn't have a radio. He doesn't have anyone to communicate with. Um, and he asked me to shut the doors that are behind me, which I didn't realize these giant doors that have the design on them are actually doors. I just thought they were part of the wall. So, but then when I look back and I've got my head to the door and I'm communicating with him through the doorway, he says, can you just close those doors so we can end this? I said, okay, so I start to kick the door, um, trying to get it to move and it, it won't move at all. So I, I push it a little, I kick it a little, um, keep the crowd back, can't get this door shut. And now the crowd has started to point at me and scream that I'm a policeman. They, they do become more agitated at this time. Um, and the atmosphere to me, uh, felt like we really needed to get out of there. The door was shut enough that the police were okay. The crowd was not where I wanted to be. And so I got Steve and my wife and said, we got to get out of here. I told the man on the other side, listen, I'm going to go find a lieutenant. Um, the, what was going on with the door is the magnet that was up above, there was a piece of metal, uh, maybe one of the little stoppers that would hold a door open that was stuck on that. And that was preventing it from magnetizing and locking. So I let them know there's, Hey, there's a piece of metal up there. The crowd is, uh, friendly about 10 feet through this group. Um, I'm going to go find a lieutenant, let them know what's going on. And we get out of there and we go down below we get down below, everything's calm again. There's no, you know, it's like night and day from being up there to down below, get down below, find the Lieutenant. He's down hanging out with a a bunch of riot people, not hanging out, but they're down there, you know, walking around, talk to him for a little bit, let him know what's going on up there. Uh, A couple of tactical teams are moving along the base of the Capitol and we decide, you know, let's, let's go ahead and head home. And as we're, this is probably, I believe I'd have to look at the receipt, but we got on the Metro at I think five twelve. um, the metro over um down through the plaza mm-hmm. towards the Lincoln Memorial, maybe I'd have to look at the map. But uh so the, the as we're leaving, right? That's 512. So pre-512, as we're leaving and we decide to leave, the police have got control of everything. There, there's a huge group of them pushing them the crowd off of the other side of the building. Everything is, you know, calming down and there really isn't that much taking place. And and we head home and we think, wow, this was quite a day. Um, did something really neat. Uh, and and again, because the, the mood at the White House had been so beautiful, there was no violence, beautiful people, people picking up trash. I, I had seen a small flag on the ground. I picked that up and a lady came over. Oh, can I have that flag? She took the flag. Um, just... You know, just a beautiful day. Uh, everybody's so full of life. And then we experienced this brief moment where there was this violence. And then we went back to the hotel and thought, okay. And we turned on the TV, which was a huge mistake because it was just like every window broken every, you know, and it turns out, I think there were only like five windows that got broken, but, um, I was like, I don't know. We got to get out of here. Like, I don't know what happened there. That's not, but you know, so we jumped in the car and headed an hour or two away and stayed somewhere else. Um, and then, of course, that's January 6th. Okay. So I didn't take a radio or I didn't take a phone with me. Uh, I didn't intend to go to January 6th. I just ended up going that night. Uh, of course, I knew people were going and had um, been able to see everything that was taking place. Um, but January 16th, the FBI shows up at my house, which is very fast. I, I mean, it, in law enforcement, it takes. It's not slow law enforcement, but to have an FBI agent uh, on your front steps on the 16th of January when the event was on the 6th of January and you you had no phone, you had none of these things that that would have been relevant to tracking you. Uh, It would have been easy to track me, though, um, because Rico captured that video. Uh, And, of course, the lieutenant had my information. I'm sure I shared it with him. But that's a really fast turnaround. Mm -hmm. So FBI shows up. Um, on the 16th, you know, they want, they're not, I've done a lot of investigations. I did law enforcement for since I was 18. I joined the Army, uh, became a military police officer, joined the police department um 2000, you know, in 99, sergeant in 2009. Um, you know, I was on the hostage negotiation team and the SWAT team and all those other things that we all do for our communities and for our police departments. And that's really fast to have an agent at your house that fast. So, anyways, but he's not investigating in the sense that um, I understood because it, he just showed up and was like, why do you have a radio? Are you going back to the capital? Are you gonna attack more capitals? Like, wh- like <laughs> a lot of, yeah, it was a, a lot mm-hmm. of questioning that was like, say the right thing, so it just, and I said, no, not obviously we're not going to do that. Um, you know, I, I had written down everything I experienced. I did a, a, an after action report for myself. So I wouldn't forget it. I offered that I told them, you know, everything I knew and offered to give statements. And they said, no, nope, you know, um, we'll be in contact if we need to, um, and left, uh, and then that was it. And so I started to deep dive into everything, uh, the video, and and like Dave said, you know, you, you can immediately see the discrepancies and what's being told to the population and what you experienced not only that day, but what you also saw on video. And we had known prior to January 6th that the election issue was most likely going to cause the situation we're dealing with right now. That, anyone mm-hmm. that supported Trump or that supported you know the Constitution and the values that we feel are important to our country was going to be hunted down and was going to be prosecuted and would basically become the country of or the enemy of our country and I had started to see this I think uh, I retired in 2017 I want to say 2007, there was an alert that came out through the terrorism network that's in police departments it's run by i believe the fbi um, and it was a notice that our next threat to america were 30 to 40 year old male veterans which mm-hmm. when i saw that notice you know i just thought this is this is just insanity to see something like this come out and then a lot of people don't know after january 6th a bulletin was put out by these agencies that declared retired law enforcement officers were the next threat to America. Like this is, it's it's systematically happening. And I've worked in this system since 18. My father joined the police department in 60. He went to Vietnam, joined the police department after that, did 40 years. You know, we're just like Bobby, a family of, of service and law enforcement and we are seeing exactly what we're all seeing so um anyways this goes on we investigate we see all these lies there's a lot of pieces that people don't have people that we've identified that aren't out in the you know because we're still trying to see certain things why they had backpacks with just different things that don't line up um and about Three months after the FBI, four months after that, I have to look at the date, uh, Homeland Security arrives at my house. And so they're there, um, they're there a good three hours, three and a half hours. And I tell them the exact same situation, everything that takes place. They're very, very good. They're, they're, they want to know, they they want to understand. And their main issue was. Um, they wanted to know what I saw inside. What did I see once I was in the Capitol? Once, once I was with the lieutenant. What were the what was what was going on in there? You know, what were the police doing? What were the people doing? Um, and there were no people in the building when I was in there. It was all police. Um, and so, I t- you know, I talked to them. I said, "Well, just watch the footage. You know, these cameras that were in." And they they told me that the, the FBI was refusing to give them access to the footage and that they weren't being shared this footage and. Um, Great people, they are great people, so they they head out um, and check back in a few times, everything's okay, you know, Uh, and then September rolls around, uh, and on September, it's a Friday, September, I'll have to look at day 20 something, I believe uh, the FBI comes to my house again. And now this time the FBI has brought the state police with them. The first time they brought the sheriff's department, which is courtesy and that sheriff, he said that he had just heard the agent call out. um, And uh, that first agent, I, I say he was very accusative, but I also understand where they were at in the investigation. They had a lot of names, a lot of people, a lot of not knowing what was going on, and they needed to get, okay, is this guy a threat? Like, is he a threat? We'll come back to this if we need to. And that that's like a, a person interview or person of interest, no statement. Right. So the next guy that comes out um in September, he really just asked me a lot. I can't, I, now I've researched it and I have my own opinions. And and he's walking down the driveway, my wife hangs her head out the window and starts yelling, have you started investigating Pelosi yet? Like, have you, have you looked into (laughs) who the actual players are in this? Because it's not us. And so, um, and he was really, he was, he was a really nice guy. You know, he, he, um, (laughs) so but he just says he, I wanted to know why he was there. You know, at this point I'm kind of like, I've seen what I have. I've, I have statements I've written. I've, you know, I've printed off all these photos. I've gone over this a million times. I, and and I've also um, we waited about a year and a half to start to tell our story um, outside of our group of people, because when we first came back, you know, we had a lot of uh, family members friends that had called us terrorists that they had tried to call cps because we went to january 6th it was you know my own my, my own <laughs> well i won't get into that story but mm-hmm. uh, so, so um we were really not talking a lot and we kind of just dis- like we had disassociated we were pregnant with our our um fourth child that was on the way a uh, third I'm sorry with our, our son Sawyer um which it, it was an extremely stressful um pregnancy with the constant visiting and everything but um so he's he just wants to turn over rocks so he just kept saying there you know sometimes rocks get turned over and he wanted to know if I was a member of Oath Keepers if I was in chat groups what hotels I stayed at you know a lot more direct stuff uh, what I thought of Stuart Rhodes did I know Stuart Rhodes um, and these things. And they talked to me for a couple hours, um, and then went on their way. And he said, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll never, um, be back here. What you did that day was, you know, a great credit and, um, it'll, it'll be in history forever. And so you, you, you know, you should be prepared to have to deal with people in the future, you know, cause, um, we, you know, we kind of try to keep to ourselves. So he left, um, And then that's kind of the end of it. But then the Oath Keepers trial comes online and I don't know if I'm gonna have to testify in this um, I've been in contact with Joe Hanneman, who is an amazing individual. If you want to know what's going on with January 6th, this man has been investigating. He didn't now he didn't start out as the January 6th investigator. It mm-hmm. just kind of fell into his lap. And then everything that we we've all seen started to be uncovered. And and now he has a lot more information because, of course, access to footage and things like that, which is just it's, it's incredible, um, as well as Steve Baker, also um, the things that, 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 I mean, these officers have committed perjury on the stand. I think Dave was saying that earlier. Now that we have the video that shows not, that Oath Keepers were protecting them, they lied and said they weren't, Oath Keepers formed semicircles around one of the officers that claims that, that, that they were, you know, this this man testified and put these men in jail for years of their life for something they didn't do. Did I agree with the statements that were made about CHICOM governments and you know all the things that were out there? I did not before January 6th, right? And But I didn't find them threatening enough that I, I felt these individuals were violating the freedom of speech, you know? Um, so, and we have all those open letters that that were written and, and things like that. And we, uh, sorry, I got off topic, we were back
2: Philosophy. well but that's that's okay Mike I, I get uh, talking. <laughs> David uh, David Sumrall is also because he was there filming and that was all that David was doing. He was there with a group and they were trying to film and create an archive of January 6 because he thought it would be a very very important date like the Declaration of Independence yes was an important date. He was not there to cause problems, he was there to film an event that he felt was very, very important in the American, uh, in, in the 230-some years of America being a country. Now, <clears throat> we, <laughs> I was there as well, uh, just so you know, Mike, I, uh, I and a number of my friends went to, we weren't at the Capitol, but we went to DC. I was right at the ellipse uh, when President Trump was speaking. We were there to show support for the president and to let Americans know that there were a lot of people that questioned so many of the abnormalities of the election and we were there to very peacefully uh, say that Congress had a responsibility to hear the evidence and do something about it. And that was what we were there for. That was all we were there for. And frankly, with the exception of the Antifa and the instigators, and I think there were some in the FBI that would be included in that, uh, were there to create the scenario to make it into something that it really wasn't. And and when we were there in that crowd, it was a typical Trump, Trump crowd, except there were individuals around in the crowd that didn't fit. Any Trump rally that I had ever been at, and I literally have been within 30 feet of uh, President Trump at several of these rallies, and I can tell you that the people that were there were Trumpers, but there were others in the crowd that were trying to create havoc, trying to instigate, trying—they were the ones with the dirty mouths that were screaming at the top of their lungs, we've got to do something, we've got to go to the Capitol, and we've got to uh, make these people responsible, and if not, we're going to hang them, and that sort of crap. And uh, they didn't fit, and all the Trump supporters that were in the crowd identified him and said, they don't belong here. Those people are not part of this crowd. Uh, So anyway, David, um, tell about your experiences because you've been visited by the FBI and all you were there to do was film the event
6: yeah but dan i stepped on the grass so that makes me guilty of trying to overthrow the fragile democracy you know that's what the the fragile democracy already almost killed our democracy whatever i stepped on the grass with my video camera and uh that's really why we were there i mean i'm a trump fan i voted for him but i don't own a trump shirt or trump hat i'm there for history i'm there for a very historic event i I want to capture what the media is not going to tell and we did we captured some of the deaths on video but just like the Oath Keepers video we played in the opening of the show, I submitted that to the lawyers for the court case, for the trial, for the Oath Keepers, and the judge censored that away from the, from the jury. He said, look, that's not the exact same every single Oath Keeper. That's not the exact same people. Well, so you have to kind of ask yourself, if the police, if there are a couple of policemen that did horrible things... Are we supposed to say all the police acted like that that one policeman? No. But you can say that the Oath Keepers were all there to do one job, just like the police were there to do one job. They're there to protect. They're there to serve. That's what they did. We got receipts. We got videos. We got conversations. And for some of these good cops not to come out and speak on behalf of these Oath Keepers, that's the other half of that crime. Because then you're complicit. Because then you're letting people suffer and die because you won't be honest, because you won't speak the truth. And I hear all kinds of excuses. Well, they'll throw him under the bus. They'll throw him in jail. What, next to one of us that's already in jail because nobody will speak out for us and tell the truth? It's not a hard thing, but you have to make your decision that that's what you're going to stand for. Oath keepers do that. Proud Boys have done that. And it's funny because I was with Gavin McGinnis when he went to sue the SPLC, About all these defamation issues, calling the Proud Boys bad people, Christian adoption agencies on the SPLC list as hate groups. I mean, this is where we live, folks. Down is up, up is down. You know, it's literally evil. It's not red versus blue anymore. You know, we've we've passed that line. And yeah, Ephesians 6:12, we wrestle with, you know, principalities, not flesh and blood it's trickling over into the real world. Yeah, there's physical conflict, but it is a spiritual battle. And and we have tried to hide from that for so long to not call it a holy war. And yet we see what's going on around us and we won't step up to the plate and do that and say, this is my faith, this is my conviction. It's what I have to do. So that's Mm -hmm. why we went to tell the truth, to video it, to show it. I've testified in three of these trials. The FBI has been in my house five times, you know, to threaten me. The judges have threatened me with prison for testifying. Oh, well, you were there. We may charge you. And I said to one of the judges, I said, your honor, you know, that was two years ago. The FBI came to my house and said that I wasn't a person of interest. Don't you think if they did something against me now, it'd be, you know, purely political. And she was floored. She's like, well, I didn't know they'd been to your house. Well, yes, ma'am. There's a lot of things that y'all don't know. That you don't ask, that you don't care, that you don't want the evidence coming through your courtroom, because then you're going to be in trouble with your bosses for letting that narrative get broken. And you're going to hold on to that as long as you can. And we're here to bust it open, Dan, and and just set these people free, man. They do not deserve what they're getting. At this point, you have to give them the hero status because you could normalize them again, but they'll never be normal. They've got this stain, they've got this mark, oh, they're an ex-J6-er. Well, they were freed and cleared, yeah, but you know, they're still J6-ers. No, they have to be elevated to the hero status now and say, these guys did the right thing at the right time for the right reasons for all of us. They're heroes, and and that's the only way we're going to overcome the stigma. And, And for these guys to come out and do Oath Keepers USA, man, that's going to just be a a poke in the bear, a thumb in the eye. We need that because it's the truth and we need to be bold about it and say, here is the reality. You can't stop it. And that's what we're trying to do with all this video.
2: Well, I, I, Elias and I had a great uh, conversation about, I'm going to say it was about eight months ago. And, uh, and we talked about this and I, I told Elias, I says, you cannot let the Oath Keepers organization completely die. Something has to be regenerated there because the idea is sound. And if there's a problem because of Stewart or any of the uh, you know underlying issues, you cannot let that shut down the idea that the Oath Keepers are all about. Uh, Elias, uh, and then I want to get Bobby on, but Elias, I want your comment on that because we talked about that and, and you you know, you said, well, maybe we should work on that.
0: Well, Dan, first uh, let me just say what David and Bobby and Mike have already said. It uh, covers a lot of bases and I'm so glad for each of those guys to join your show and help us. Uh, The idea is lost in the crowd. Everything anybody needs to know comes from inside their own mental states. Self-ownership begins with the mind. Once you own the contents and effects of your mentality, you can be a self-owning individual The self-owning individual has a family and a neighborhood, a community, and that is the American foundation. Awake, alive, aware, moral, self-responsible, self-owning individuals is what our damn Constitution is all about. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's our position. And it doesn't matter if there's an organization telling us, Oh, by the way, you should honor your oath or not. We all know in our conscience we should honor our oath. But in today's mass media submerged insane narrative, where I mean everything is, like he said, upside down, downside up. It's all insane then. What is coming through the media across the TV screen, in the headlines. It is just absolutely, well, we'll go back to uh, what David's alluding to. We are in a spiritual war. Our defensive system is the condition of our individual minds. And so collecting up a group of individuals who are self-owners and organizing them on the thesis of, Let's focus on the Constitution and on that oath we swore to the Constitution. Let's focus on that. Let's start an organization and let's promote the idea because our public, collective consciousness is under threat by Wall Street, Madison Avenue, government proclamation, the industrial park of Eisenhower's military industrial complex. Now an intelligence complex is added to that, and we are all under siege in a tremendously, a biblical proportion, spiritual war. So, Bobby, thank you, man. You pick up the you pick up the cross, you get it on up the hill. Dave, I bought the book, buddy, after the last time I was on the show with you. Thank you for that. And Mike, love you. And your wife, Whitney, is just a dream. She, you're a blessed man to have that kind of a good woman, a mother and wife, and bless your family. Then, uh, how in the world we're going to get out of this? I don't know. But everything starts at the individual level. And that's why uh, a lot of people are telling me lately the idea of a mental militia is probably a damn good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're talking up there. Well, Elias, your,
2: your comment is absolutely right. And David, this is something that you have brought up to me before. But isn't it amazing how many of the Capitol Police have committed suicide that were involved in January 6? Probably a number of them either were going to turn evidence against the groups that were causing the problem. Or they had such a level of guilt that uh, they didn't—they didn't, uh, didn't want to be part of a world that was that deceitful. And I, I honestly believe that because uh, the people who are trying to save this world are the people who care about integrity and honesty in the human soul. And uh, believe me, the dots do all connect. Bobby, I want to get you back on. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, you've got your hands full creating a group that's uh, that's going to be able to break away from the stigma uh, that the SPLC and some of these other Marxist groups that have taken over much of the mainstream media. But I believe that America is about to hear the truth in a big enough way that Things are going to turn back around,
5: you know. And I think I think America is ready for it. I think America, frankly, over all these past couple three years, has 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 started to see, even just in a gut instinct kind of a way, that something is not the way it's being purported. And I think America is ready for the truth. I think we're going to start seeing that. Oath Keepers USA is a build it, they will come philosophy. Um, I can I can tell you this that everybody on this channel should be an Oath Keeper. You do not have to be an oath taker. You don't have to be a former military law enforcement. You could just be a. We have five guiding principles in Oathkeepers USA: legal, moral, ethical, constitutional, and godly. And we save the best for last because those within with, when you're operating in those five uh, you know core values, you you can't go wrong. And and uh, so we decided literally this is how it came to be. A little chronology. I know we're kind of short on time. No, we but, got time. Um, Oath Keepers, I I was, like I said, two IC, I was second in command of a chapter in Utah. I never met Stuart, and to this day, I've never met Stuart. I've only talked to him three or four times, but we were a very successful chapter. Um, We had a a gentleman who was a 34-year military veteran, he was my friend uh, and, uh, he was, um, he was a master sergeant retired in the air force. He was, he was a civilian contractor now, and he was running Andrew self was his name and he was running, uh, the, the chapter. And, you know, in my experience in, when I was in the military, I was in a couple of really good units. The, the one that brought me to Las Vegas was the stealth fighter unit, the F-117 program back in the day, which was still coming out of the black world. It was still kind of a black op coming into the, the, the non-top-secret world. So I held a top-secret security clearance clearance there. And before that, in strategic command, I met some of the finest people in the world working in the United States Air Force. And uh, I transitioned to a law enforcement career. Um, and... I met some of the greatest people in the world working in my former police department and some of the units that I was in. And then when I got out, my oath didn't expire. It expires when I expire. And most oath takers feel the same way. You keep the oath until you expire. And so my sense of service never really kind of waned. It never waned. And it certainly was always there. And I just fortuitously found these these people that called themselves the Oath Keepers. And so I met some of the finest people in my life. And it was just a continuation of what we did. Uh, Although we're not in the military anymore, we have no real authority. We're not arresting people. We're not doing that, but we can still serve the Constitution through a myriad of ways. And uh, so I joined. And, you know, the China war virus comes around and uh, Andy, my, my, my uh, state leader gets, gets the virus and gets, he dies Um, and he's killed in action because I do believe, I do believe personally that we were, we we're in, we're in a war and the only shots been fired right now are these vaccinations that are going out, but he died because he, you know, he had, he was compromised from the Gulf war syndrome for the lungs. And so I, I just took over. And uh, Stuart Rhodes calls and says, hey, man, you know, I want you, uh, because you're so successful in what you guys are doing in Utah, we want you We want you on the on the board of directors. And so I was like third down. We had a, a, a former Army uh, retired uh, colonel, Fulbert colonel, who was actually the acting president when Stuart got arrested. And the, Stuart said three things. He said, well, the last things he said to us was, he said, if I'm arrested, it's God's will. I will be a political prisoner. I will never admit to anything that I didn't do. And he said, and if anything ever happens to me, please do not let this organization die. Now, Mm -hmm. at that point, it was green behind the ears. I only knew Utah. I didn't know anything about national. Never saw national, never saw a dime from national. And you could talk to other state chapter leaders. Elias is probably very familiar with this. Uh we we never we we never had any support from national. And it was always kind of a thing that it kind of irked me a little bit to be in the old organization. Well, June 2022 rolls around. I find myself up on a mountaintop doing some training and they're like uh so and so resigned and you're now The president, and so I've got a thirty thousand foot view of the organization, and I've got you know I've got no legal means to do anything. Stewart's arrested; don't have a good power of attorney; can't get through to his his you know his uh, his attorneys. We're not getting correspondence, Um, and legally I I had no I couldn't carry on the group, frankly, legally with the old group, and so I said you know we're going to do what. A lot of people have done to companies, and we specifically talked about the old American Motors Company. With when when uh, Lee Iacocca came around, he rebranded Chrysler, and this is something that we we thought about doing rebranding the organization, and that's where Oath Keepers USA kind of came about. And we did uh, through a, a long time of negotiating back and forth. We knew quote unquote the the term Oath Keeper was tainted because of the all the bad press and everything. And frankly, people think I'm crazy. I'll be honest with you, Dan, they think that what the hell are you doing doing this organization, you know, rebuilding it after January 6th? And I got one answer for them. I did it because of January 6th, because everything that has come post January 6th and frankly, before that with the virus and everything else, we know everything that they put out, the exact opposite is true. We the United States people, the citizens of this country are more divided than ever and frankly, it's it's by their grand plan they mm-hmm. they want us to believe a narrative like there's a great if you guys haven't seen it Um, just Google, there's, there's a meme or a picture out there where there's a jar full of red death, fiery ants and black ants, and they're docile. They're just living amongst themselves in this jar and they're crawling over each other. But if somebody comes and shakes the jar and all the red ants kill the black ants, that's exactly we, the people right now, they've got us all in this jar and they're shaking it and we're battling back and forth against each other. And it, you know, That so, so it was because of that false narrative. Is the reason why we decided no, we're going to do it because hey, we're oath takers and that means something to us. And frankly, you know, we're going to rebuild the organization to where everybody's getting everybody's vetted 100%. They go through three or four different vetting processes, you know, and so, so we know who's who in the zoo in our organization right now, but we know we're also under the thumb of, you know, people are looking, we're probably. At some point, if if we're not, I would be very surprised if we don't have somebody infiltrated uh, at this point. But like I said, legal, moral, ethical, constitutional, and godly. And what the hell is wrong with that? I'm like, you showed me what we're doing wrong. I mean, if somebody literally, I'm an evidence-based guy. Now, when I say I was a detective, I was mostly a covert detective. I was mostly undercover covert. But- but i mean i'm an evidence-based guy as a police officer and so if somebody was to come to me and says hey what you doing what you guys are doing are is illegal unmoral unethical unconstitutional ungodly we shut this place down in a new york second but you know i've got a great board of directors my vice president's a retired medical doctor of the cleveland clinic he's got a law degree um you know we've got critical thinkers on our board of directors and it's not my organization it's all of our organization the brand new member that we put on today it's his organization too. Everybody's got a say in it, and so there's no egos, and and uh, and and, I, and that's what I love about it. Because again, we're like a family. We're we are comprised of some of the finest people, and all we're trying to do is promote the Constitution and and, and how we're doing that. Because people always say, "Well, what are you?" Well, we say we're, we're a constitutional service organization, and our mission is to honor our oath. And to defend, you know, the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And our vision statement is to ensure that the that United States remains a constitutional republic in perpetuity. Those are our two. Those are our two guiding principles. And how we do that, and I don't know. Like I said, I can't speak on Dan. I can't speak to the previous organization. But if if we were ever at some point ever supposed to be this grand quote unquote militia. By the way, the M word, the militia word, is a constitutional word. We need to teach okay. that. <laughs> um, we need to get back to teaching the constitution because we have so many people, frankly, and I know some of them that raise their hand to promote and to protect and defend the constitution. They have no idea what it means. And by, by, by no means am I a, a constitutional scholar. Um, uh, but, but I could tell you that I knew what I was raising my hand for. And I, to this day, I'm you know, it and like I said, it goes to my grave with me, but but you know, we gotta get back to teaching this constitution to understand that we the people actually do have the authority. We haven't asserted our authority in 247 years or whatever it may be. But but how we we serve the constitution now is like I tell my folks here, and when I give speeches, I say, listen, I got a litmus test. One of my litmus tests for people is like, look in the mirror, turn your phone around to, to where you can see yourself, and ask the person in the mirror, how much lawlessness will you allow? How much unconstitutionally, how much stolen elections, how much fraud, how much would this allow? And I will tell you, if the, if the number's any greater than zero, then you're looking at the problem. Mm-hmm. And how we do that is we, we hold everybody who asks for our vote. I don't care if it's your neighborhood watch, it's your homeowner association, your school board, but everybody who asks for your vote, you better know who they are. Now you better not be able to just walk into a booth. Like we all have done because this is our fault. We have sat on our duffs way too long and we have just walked into a booth and you know what present company included till about 10 years ago, I went into a booth and I'll be honest with you. I was just like ours all the way down. And I was a member of the Republican party and I'm not anymore. I left because, you know, frankly, I, I, I mean, I think they're the wolves in sheep's clothing. They're probably the worst of the worst. But, but I, I, I said, listen, know who's asking for your vote. Research them. If, if they're not representing you, then get them out of there. And you know, we have a, we have a mechanism in this United in the country how to do that. And you know, and it is like Frederick Douglass said, a man gets his rights in three boxes, right? The ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. And God forbid we ever have to turn to that third option. But I can tell you, after twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two, I'm scared. I don't think we have a election process anymore. I think we have a selection process because we have seated our, uh, we have seated every single one of our senses we have saw what we all saw. We've heard what we all saw. We know somebody's pissing on our leg and they're telling us it's raining because we're watching it happen. But we have to have the the news tell us that this was a secure election or this guy got the greatest amount of votes. He couldn't formulate a sentence even when he was running. He never came out of campaign. We saw miles and miles of Trump trade. You don't have to like Donald Trump, but you saw what you saw. And we all know that you know he's getting tens and tens and tens, tens of thousands of people at every speech. But yet you know we're getting maybe 10 20 100 maybe at the most for a biden speech we so we have seated our believe what you see believe what you hear mm-hmm. and and you know what and and go according and build your boat build your arc according to that and that's taking care of the in the area of operations that you live in your politicians at the local levels and you know what if you take care of your neighborhoods and your cities and your towns your county your state's going to follow and it won't be able to turn this thing around we will we have to be do- diligent because I don't believe we have a luxury of two more years or four more years or eight more years to kick this can down the road. We've got to do this now. And that's where our focus is, is getting, matter of fact, my, my vice president is now running for the school board now that he's retired. Um, so so we say, listen, if you don't like the candidate, then you know what, roll up your sleeves and get involved because that's how our, our politics are supposed to be. They're not supposed to be a career. It's supposed to be a, a, a period of civil, you know, um, you know, this is your citizenship. This is what you're part of your citizenship, go and do a, uh, you serve your country and then turn it over, get out of there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, so we're actually preaching what we we're practicing what we preach. And so from that aspect of it as man, I mean, we are, we, I hate to say, keep saying, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're the good guys. We're the good guys. We're the good guys. No, we really are the good guys and the good girls. We, we don't, we don't discriminate on anything. I mean, we've got Muslims, we've got gays, we've got blacks, we got white, we're all in the same boat together, guys, and we preach this all the time you know, and we're allowed to have our individual differences. And that's what makes us great as an organization and frankly, as a country. And, and, you know, it's shows like this, frankly, that need, you know, that need to be heard to get the word out. I am going to go and I'm going to purchase, you know, that, that gentleman's book. I'm going to purchase that. I, I didn't even know that was a thing, David. I've I've heard about you just up until a couple of weeks ago. So I'm a fan. Um, I'm a fan of, of Mike because what we heard Mike, what Mike just did is what I would do when I was a detective. And I sat somebody down and got an interview. He explained everything. And that interview would have been transcribed. And really where the rubber meets the road, Frankly, uh, guys, is these current on duty right now? These police officers, these federal agents—that you know, this fell on their watch. And I, and I, and i am sorry that it did. I did my time. I got out. I was a whistleblower. Yes, I was libeled, labeled, slandered, maligned, all that, because that's what happens when you raise your hand or you say, "Hey, listen, I see something," and now I got to say something. They kill the messenger. So I tell people I was canceled culture before canceled culture was cool. But, but um, you know what, I'll, I, I, this is, this is, this is a, this is a hill worth dying on not not literally, but figuratively as well, but because this is integrity and this is what we all swore to do. And these, these agents and these police officers, they need to come forward because you know, if you're, if you're just, we all saw this Nuremberg trials, we're just following orders. You're wrong. If you're knowingly covering up stuff and you're, and if you're afraid and I know they're afraid, I know they're afraid because their their pensions, their the ability to feed their families. But this fell on your watch, and this is part of courage. This is what courage takes. Mm-hmm. You know, in my old police department, we had an acronym called ICARE: Integrity, Courage, Accountability, Respect for Others, and Excellence. And that and I love that acronym. And 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 that and these these agents and these police officers and these federal employees, whether it's IRS or whatever, they need to come forward. The more and the more we get, the more Kyle Seraphins and the and the Steve. Fr- friends and all of these guys that are coming forward and more of these people that come forward to get us the truth. I think we will turn this narrative back to the truth. But it's going to take it's going to take a lot of personal involvement from everybody here, um everybody in my organization and uh, at at the grassroots level. You know, I we have a kind of thing. If you could talk to I live very rural, but when I do when I go out, I I wear my swag. I talk to people. I walked through the 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 Dallas International Airport a couple months ago and I had nothing but positive Review say, hey, listen, that's great. I love that organization. Now, granted, we are a different organization, but, but we, but that's only out of necessity and legality. We had to, but we are a better organization. We're stronger because of this. Um, and we're more determined because of this, because of guys like Mike, I mean, Mike's a hero. I mean, and I thank you, Mike, you know, and I'll do it in front of, I'll do it every time I get a chance to, because it's folks like him that actually, you know, honor their oath. Cause it's not always about taking a bullet, it's not always about doing something dangerous. It's about promoting the constitution in every way possible. And we're very, very, very lo- fortunate to have Mike. And I hope you guys uh, would go to our website and I'm uh, here's a plug, shameless plug, but it's Oathkeepersusa.org, no WW, Oathkeepersusa.org, see what we're about and come on board because together, we really do have to
2: network. We really do, Dan, thank you. That's, that, that is absolutely dynamite. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, All you guys are heroes. This is about saving our country. And the way to do that is to save our souls. Because if we are not willing to stand up and do the right thing, then we're going to lose our soul in the process. Uh, Mike, I want to give you a a chance to say a few words. Just uh, we kind of haven't gone back to you here in a few minutes. And uh, it's time for you to say something.
4: Um, well, thank you, Bobby. I, I, Bobby came out as he said earlier to visit. He had met me through True Social, and you know, Witt and I had discussed this Oathkeeper ordeal. and And it's not a small task that he's taking on to to try to take something that is very meaningful that God put into the media and destroyed, and and carry that torch with with no with nothing to do it. Um, I did want to mention, which I was going to before I lost that train of thought. The FBI did. Eventually, end up back, and they subpoenaed me for this Oathkeeper trial. Um, I was served the subpoena by the FBI uh, to go down to DC. I contacted the prosecutor about the situation, um, and he said when the trial would be. Now, this was when the trial for the when the prosecution rested its case, and the Oathkeepers were about to begin their case. You know, in return of that. They had prosecuted, they had subpoenaed me before the Oath Keepers had presented their testimony as a rebuttal witness to what that testimony would be, which is interesting. Um, So I got that subpoena and the defense, um, they also subpoenaed me in the background of that. And so my wife and I drove down to D.C., which was very uh, i want to mention also you know when you show this video of january 6 and when i took my wife to the capitol to go back to this testimony you know i had been going to the capitol since um i think prior to joining the military and then while i was in the military I, every year i would go with my father and, and my mother and visit these this smithsonian and the washington monument this beautiful place you know and, and see everyone and this last time we went back it was it was it was uh, very difficult. It was very emotional. It was uh, a lot of fear involved in it. Not that I was afraid of, but, you know, so um, anyways, to shorten that, we pull into the parking lot of the hotel that we're, we're been sent to stay at for this court. And then my phone rings. And as soon as we pull in the parking lot and um, I answer it and they says, oh, this is, you know, I, I know his name, but I, he says, this is the prosecutor. I, well, what are you doing? So well, I'm pulling in the parking lot of the hotel. I'm here in D.C. So why are you in D.C.? So well, I'm, I have to testify tomorrow, you've subpoenaed me for court here. And he says, hold on a second. And he puts the FBI on the phone, um, he says I've patched in agent, my, I, his name, um, and then starts to talk about wanting to know why I'm there. And, and then he says, uh, you know, go ahead and just go ahead and consider our subpoena null and void. Uh, we don't need you anymore. And so I said, okay, well, all right. And then he hung up and so I went in uh, and the defense still had the subpoena. I went in the next day, to testify, and the the prosecution and the judge um, and the defense all met. It, they dis- I wasn't in there because my wife was in there. I had to sit out separately. They dismissed the jury. They watched the video of the rescue. Then they discussed what went on, and then they refused to allow the testimony and they refused to allow the footage and the evidence. Um, and so then every oath keeper, I believe, it was a um, Mr. Conwa, um well, all of them that were on trial uh, tried to have their lawyers subpoena me, or not subpoena, but have me testify, a judge denied it every time and said it wasn't connected. I, I think Dave touched on this, which was a great point, and that's the I, idea and understanding as an oath keeper Uh, And that Bobby's going within the group and and Elias is that we are all connected as one and we all want to make it through the day and get through these crises with whatever helps around us. And that was the general idea. And to go in and testify in a courtroom and say, yes, I was aware of the Oath Keepers. I was on their website. I did you know, see the chats going on. I was aware that we were planning to be safe and protect each other. This all plays into the role of why everyone was there. There was no chatter of attacking anything. There was no chatter of taking over anything. There was none of this. The, the actual only chatter was we will assist the police if they can't handle BM, BLM and Antifa, you know, that's our goal. And, and how do you do that? Well, uh, officer, I'm here to assist. I'm going to kind of guard your car. Can How do you need my help? Whatever you need. And then that officer directs you. But so they refused to let us testify. Um, and then I get to sit through the trial and I've been in a lot of court cases and this was not a court. Like, I mean, I, 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 a judge is a judge and a court is a court. and I don't want to offend them in any way. Of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been in, this was, this was, there was one other man out of 16 that had been called to testify. And he wasn't even at January six, he was at home and he had been something about him. He was in a chat group that, uh, someone had said, turn on the gas you know and his grandmother had worked in the Capitol, like seven decades not as maybe his great grandmother and they were like this guy he had access to the you know and so they called him in there and and the but the 16 other people that had come to testify um they had threatened. Previously to the trial, and so they didn't show up because they got handed, you know, 900 text messages, and said you're going to answer for all these text messages, and we don't care that this one um, is out of order with this one. You know, we're just going to show it the way we want, and that's kind of how the trial went when we witnessed it. There was no uh, other than um, the wife of one of the individuals who's not even an actual oathkeeper. Uh, he was he's a disabled veteran. Um, and he was supposedly going to shuttle weapons up the Potomac river or something like this, you know, which I don't know how you, I I don't know how you would miss that uh, if that was going on, but they did miss these guys at 6am setting up the hangman's noose while one of the guys went to get coffee in the process of setting this thing up across from the F but anyway, (laughs) anyways, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we weren't able to testify, uh, but we did end up testifying in Alaska in a little trial that no one really knew was going on. Um, and in that trial is where I really started to to understand um, the a lot of these processes that, you know, where the Speaker of the House is able to con- call for an emergency session of a vote uh, during this electoral process if there's these circumstances that are met in this uh, insurrection kind of met those circumstances. And I don't think, and you know, we can check this, but I don't think a lot of people realize that the the vote didn't happen the way that it would normally right. happen. This, right. this insurrection that took place caused Pelosi to call for a special or an emergency voting process, where multiple states were not even involved in the electoral college vote, that they were that there were a dozen or so of them that were selected by her, and these weren't the states that were going to contest. And the Alaska trial was important because. I believe Alaska was going to contest the the election because twenty thousand of their um, constituents had come to this. Leg- I think it was a legislator and said, "We we don't agree with what's taking place here. You know, what are what's our uh, process here?" And he had gone to ensure that Alaska had followed through with questioning this election. And there were several other states that were going to do that. And then, if you notice, right before that first state, I think it might have been Arizona. I'm not sure, was about to bring some issues up. Mm-hmm. Oh, the insurrection happens, and it's. It's, it's, it happened at like 1030 that morning. Now we're in Washington, DC, the capital of the United States. And and if you had uh, Bobby's PD or my PD, if our city had something that took place like it did at that capital, uh, we would not march millions of people towards it. We would not channel them, you know, and we know um, one of my friends here, his, his, uh, his, years ago, his brother was Metro PD. So if they want to connect me to that somehow, but um, he is, this is a a system that they used to channel people up there when they had in the sixties and seventies, huge riots and, and protests or whatever, they would channel, they would blows, close the streets and channel everyone in the city, the city set up to be this way into these stadiums where they would arrest them and everything. That's basically what happened that day to us. They, they channel us there and no one warned us of it. And, and no one, you know, we talked to hundreds of police officers on the way to the Capitol to thank them. And, and it was just, um it was incredible that no one said hey you know you guys uh, we've called a broken arrow up there you may not want to go up there and and you could notice like i you know you said um then when when you were in the speech there we were also probably very close to you there were i kept noticing one or two guys that would like mm-hmm. wander through the crowd and they just they did not they you didn't Yeah. They didn't fit. And then when I went through the video, uh, I could see there's a couple of them on the side of us as we're rescuing those guys. So it's really very interesting. Um, And I don't understand the process of, you know, once some of these videos started to come out, um, you're an officer or you're representing our country and you're viewing this evidence. And you're still letting like you're just as complacent as everybody else, um, regardless. And and like Bobby did, he put his career on the line. And that's happened to me before, where you know what's happening is wrong, and you 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 have to put yourself out there, and you have to protect the people because your your job is 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 not forever. But this this belief in this constitution this this flag this is this is what our children have for a future and without that without standing up without that intestinal fortitude to say wait a minute this is wrong this these people didn't yeah. do this and you know and this is uh, until you know I always believe that the, the FBI and all these hierarchy agencies were the cream of the crop for law enforcement. Like you aspire to be that you you know to help people. You know it's not our job to go out there and, and interfere with your life. It's our job to go out there, provide you with a safe environment to be in and, and enjoy your life, and then get you back out of crisis if you're in crisis and protect you from criminals. You know it's it's no different than when we get into the the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, all these things like. Go after the criminals. All this money we're dumping into all these programs to to stop the good people from just living is ridiculous, and and we're sending our money overseas. We don't know what's going on over there. It's it's the most disinformation in in the time frame of life where we have the best technology and, and knowledge coming forth. Our consciousness is going to a level that is so much higher than it's ever been before. Yet we're being pulled down by the very tools that are used to make it better, and and by a very small amount. And you know, when I first joined this new oath keepers group, it had been a while since I had dealt with. I'll say real, not that everyone's not real, but you know, powerful men, men that aren't Mm. afraid to say, you know what, this is bullshit. You know, this is, this is wrong. This is, and at first I kind of was standoffish a little because it it was like, wait a minute. And then it took me a second. Okay. These aren't, you know, even if they are feds, we're not doing anything wrong. You know, we're, we're not, they're, they're just expressing themselves the way they should be. And it's, it's what's happened is we've gone from where we would have done that, you know, in, I'm not a drinker, but in the bars or out in public, we would have done these things. We would said them. We'd be power. We'd forget about it. Now you you try to type your message out there. It's it's shortened, spell check it changes it to say whatever it wants to say. I read some of the <laughs> stuff I typed in. It's not even close to what I said. Yeah, it's actually- I know. Yeah, it explains why I lost a lot of girlfriends early on, you know, like I, it's just like, I I didn't say that, you know, and then, and then if somebody took, you know, your message from seven messages ago where you said, yeah, I get that. And then they lined it up with a message that has nothing to do with that. It's like burn the place down and you you, next thing, you know, so it's really a bad setup and and we really just need to get back to, um, I don't even know,
2: you know, we're we're in Mike, we're in a battle of good and evil and just that simple. And I, for the life of me, I cannot understand anyone with children or grandchildren or even friends that they love that are willing to uh, compromise to the point where their futures are uh questionable, where they may not live in a free country. They may live in a country that is a gulag. And I think we're very close to that. David, I want to give you a, a shot. And actually, uh, James has told me uh, we can go a little long if we want to. So we're not under the gun here. But uh, David, I, I, you know, this is a terrific discussion. You've been in the middle of it in a way that very few people have. What do you think about this whole conversation?
6: Uh, I think this is definitely the step in the right direction. And and look, we've got guys literally in prison for thought crimes. Mm-hmm. Thought crimes. So what better reason to have a mental militia? You have to be prepared for what they're coming at you with. And these these oath keepers are there to stand up for the accountability that we all need. And, and listen, I can definitely understand and relate because J6ers have had to forge their own way and develop their own family and support groups and everything that has to do with the suicides, the, the deaths, the miscarriages from the FBI raids. I want people to know, yes, it takes a special kind of bravery to take a bullet in the field while you're at war, but do that in a court where you know you're going down. That's what these guys do. They are those heroes. Man, and Man, it just breaks me to know that more people aren't furious about what's happening to America and good American people that are the heroes that should never be treated like this. But listen, go share our latest movie, movie at stophate.com. It's called A Thousand Days of Terror, and it shows you where it went from a peaceful crowd to chaos, to anger, and why, and who did what. It's a five-minute documentary, stophate.com, A Thousand Days of Terror. It's the first thing when you click on that. Watch that five-minute video. Tell me if you don't agree with it. Share it with your friends. Help us get the truth out. Join the Oath Keepers USA. Join the mental militia. Do what you have to do to stand your ground and fight back for your family while you can. And
2: Dan, I can't thank you enough for this. this Well, and and order the American Gulag Chronicles. Yes. Get that book because this is what is helping to fund these families who have lost their breadwinners. These are the things that are trying to provide defense attorneys for some of these people that are caught in the American Gulag system. Let me just say, and and
6: that's exactly right. Look, all these links are available at StopHate.com slash J6. There's calls to action. There's prayer group, letter writing. But all these support and action groups are so important. American Patriot Relief, American Gulag Chronicles are two of the top. Patriot Mail Project. But please support these groups. These are the people that are out there in the field doing the legwork. And, and listen, it's it's tiring, and it's it's long. It takes forever. You never get a break, and these people need help. And if people just step up and write letters and make calls and do the things that we've set the outlines out, there's a there's a list of things to do. Gifting for everybody, whatever your your calling is, there's something for you to do on there. But this book is. The the resource for people to learn about their stories, give it to your libraries, donate it, give it for Christmas gifts and know that every penny of the profits go to help these families. And we really need more. You know, we've got more people than ever in the system. It's growing every day and we see what's happening in these court cases and what's happening with Trump. So let's mm-hmm. all spread this information. That's the that's
2: the strength and safety and numbers and, uh, and man, like, like I said, I just David, be- believe me, it's not going to stop no. with January Sixers. Right. We are in an American gulag system that anybody who believes in the Constitution and believes in the rights of individuals are going to be under that same gun. So for God's sake, get off your butt and connect the dots. Absolutely. And with that, I've got to Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And uh, I see Patrick and uh, James are ready to go with the campaign show. Sorry, gentlemen. I We went a few minutes over, but you guys were great. What a great discussion. And share this with your friends. Share this with everybody you know. From the
1: lakes of Minnesota